ora and welcome to Cinema in Context, where we discuss all things film and the connections between. My name is Jeremy Downing. I'm Sarah Watt. And I'm William Chen. And each month at Cinema in Context, we discuss two films, one current and one retrospective, with some connection. They could be the same director, the same actor, or a similar theme. This month, we are discussing Mission Impossible Fallout, which came out this year, and Top Gun, which came out in 1986, and the connection being that they are both films led by Tom Cruise, that old Hollywood star. (laughs) So, uh, should we start with Top Gun? William, give us a bit of an overview of Top Gun. Yeah, of course, of course. Uh, It would be my pleasure. But, I guess, what what is Top Gun, anyway? I mean, the film explains it quite succinctly. (laughs) (laughs) On March 3rd, 1969, the United States Navy established an elite school for the top 1% of its pilots. Its purpose was to teach the lost art of aerial combat and to ensure that the handful of men who graduated were the best fighter pilots in the world. They succeeded. (laughs) Today, the Navy calls it Fighter Weapons School. The Flyers call it Top Gun. (laughs) Great. Well, that's that's Top Gun. Um, And Mission Impossible Fallout, it is the sixth film in a series that started in 1996. And, uh, yeah, I think it was sort of a return to form in terms of the television series when J.J. Abrams brought out Mission Impossible 3, bringing back the team aspect, which the first film had so famously sort of um, taken and and shuffled up and Mm. changed up. Mm -hmm. Um, So they sort of returned to that in in, uh, 2005, I think the third film came out. Um, And then they've they've had Brad Bird jump in, they've had um, this new director... Uh, and I forget his Christopher name. Macquarie? Yes. Oh, is that, yeah, he's, he's done five and six. Yes, mm-hmm. he's yeah. jumped in. He's sort of um, seeing these films, I suppose, uh, now, overlooking them. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, Tom Cruise is on another mission with his crew. Uh, plutonium's involved. And many explosions and car chases and, and uh, lots of fun. And lots of mask-revealing <laughs> ensues. I have to say, just to kind of get straight into it, um, and there will be spoilers in this discussion today, people, so if you are spoiler-averse to these films, please pause this podcast and come back to us at a later date. But what I will say is that I, I, you know, one of the things that frustrated me as a youngster was in the second movie how ridiculous the mask-pulling <laughs> was and how fantastic the masks looked. I mean, it was, you know, they're just the actors playing themselves, but... Mm. Um, it sort of seems all a bit ridiculous, but I do kind of love that these new movies have just still gone with that. Yes, mm-hmm. and like that's just an accepted part of the world. Yes, that people can wear masks and <laughs> and get away with it. Get away with it. Whereas the first movie, Tom Cruise wears a mask, and he very clearly looks like he's wearing a mask. Yes, mm-hmm. yeah. But then, as you say, in the second one, when he's um, when Dalgray Scott, Dougray Scott, is pretending to be Ethan Hunt. Uh, it works absolutely brilliantly. Look, you say what you like about MI2. I'm going to lay my cards on the table. I know that that is not the most popular of the six MI films. <laughs> and it is far from being my favourite. But i got to tell you, we went and what we rewatched that the other day, knowing that John Woo had directed it, mm. and having recently seen um, Face Off. <laughs> uh, and we were a little bit like, bring on the doves. And sure enough... <laughs> Uh, in the third act, there is that wonderful slow mo of e- well. There's a lot of slow mos in yeah, all yeah. John Woo mo- uh, John Woo movies, but uh, there's that wonderful slow mo of Ethan Hunt coming uh, rounding a corner, slow motion, and then doves that happen to be in the middle of some tunnels, rather like in <laughs> North End, fly up, and there's explosions and everything else. I've got quite a lot of time for that one, I have to say. And maybe I should go back and rewatch it. I mean, there's yeah, so should. many masks. So yes, many masks. Yes, yes, that's The right. guy who's like, um, he's like on the ground, he's got a duct tape over his mouth. Yeah. Oh, that's and he's like, brilliant. <laughs> you know? And that's brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> no, 
why isn't he crying out? <laughs> so, um, I, before we launch into, um, obviously, a, a detailed analysis, uh, and an incredibly insightful one, no doubt, uh, with Top Gun, I do think that the Mission Impossible franchise is fascinating because, as you'll be well aware, the first one was directed by Brian De Palma. Mm. So there's a whole... Um, there's a whole style coming mm. at it. Mm-hmm. Second is John Woo, whole different style. Mm. The third was Brad Bird, is that right? No, J.J. Abrams. The third is J.J. Abrams. His first big Hollywood production. It was. It really launched, it really launched his career as a Hollywood director. Mm-hmm. Fourth Brad Bird, again different, mm. and, and um, having come out of really Incredibles land, I think, mm-hmm. wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, And then fifth and sixth being Chris McQuarrie, whom I adore simply because he wrote The Usual Suspects. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Isn't it interesting? Clearly they, or whoever they are, feel that he acquitted himself so well with Rogue Nation that they were going to give him a second go. And I'd be, I'd be interested to see whether they do give him the seventh Mission Impossible or mm. whether the, you know, there's some new sort of... Well, it's like, it reminds me of Alien series and the kind of calibre of directors that have been through that series. And each film has sort of had someone at the start of their career. I mean, John Woo, you know, not, and Brian Palmer not, but still, um, you know, people who are sort of up and coming. Mm-hmm. Um, also, we, we talked in our group chat about the Harry Potter films and how that's a similar series as well. And yeah. David Yates. Yeah, until, until he came on board. Um, yeah. It was like a fresh new vision every single movie, yeah. basically. Mm. Yeah, and David yeah. Yates sort of has seen at home and now he's taken on board the new uh, um, the Fantastic, Fantastic Beasts Beast series. Yeah. Mm. Um, so yeah, it'd be interesting to see. And I, I Tom Cruise has been quoted as saying, look, if people like this movie, we'll keep making them. Mm. And as someone who I loved that, I loved the first film as a kid. Like that was just such a big part of my childhood. Yeah. And then I've sort of lost touch with them over the years. And to go back and watch this new one and just really enjoy it, I was like, hell yeah, I could, I could carry on watching these movies. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So they've definitely moved with their time, which mm-hmm. is good. You know, I mean, I do feel that Mission Impossible too. I do feel that John Woo got away with putting a lot of his, his sort of features, his style. Uh, his M.O. into that film, and he got away with it. His you know. M.O. and M.I. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. But, um, but, but otherwise, yeah, there's a really nice consistency, isn't there, in terms of the story. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people have been saying, you know, the, the Mission Impossible films now seem, if they didn't before, like a, 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 um, a very real, similar to the Bond movies, which has all the features of a Bond film, that even though you're giving it to different <laughs> directors, there are things that are immutable throughout. Mm. And Mission Impossible is good with that consistency. I love yeah. the title sequence. I've forgotten that trope when I was... And just the fact you see the whole film <laughs> mm-hmm. in in a few minutes is Mm. such a great um, tradition Mm. as opposed to Bond I mean I love the Bond tradition with the various abstract images and you know but it's pretty sexist with the naked woman and the sexy woman and they've tried Mm. to sort of subvert that but at the heart of it Mm -hmm. I think at the heart of James Bond it's it's quite a sexist sort of idea and one of the things that struck me because I definitely thought the same thing with this new film I was like it is similar it's like the American James Bond but the, the representation of women is, is so much better in these yes. Mission Impossible films. And you've got some really great female characters through this movie. Um, they're not the butt of the jokes. They're, no. not, they're not there just for sex. Um, and they're not, just quite, they're not quite just the victim to be saved. So we'll get on to that. I reckon we need to start, though, <laughs> at Top Gun before we start talking about the representation of women. <laughs> oh, my word. So. Top Gun. <laughs> Um, I, I mean... We're like looking at William. Okay. <laughs> Jeremy, you and I have never seen Top Gun before. And it right? came out the year we were born. Yeah, yeah. So William and I were both oh. born the same year as Top Gun. Mm-hmm. So you watching it just now is your first time. Yep. And, oh, and this is with awkward. all the, the, the cultural baggage and, you know, all the parodies and this and that. Yes. And, and watching it, to me, like, everything starts making sense, right? Um, have you guys seen MacGruber? 
No, but it's okay, the it's, it's, the, the, it's the mock Will on um, Mil- MacGyver, oh. right? Yes, yes, yes. and it, it, I mean a lot of it's a parody of Rambo, and but mm-hmm. there's a lot of Top Gun in it as well, and you start picking up. Oh my gosh, this is this is where the music cue stuff comes in, and oh man, you guys, the music cues in this movie are it's terrible. Out of they are so on the nose, and they're they? so so abrupt. Yeah, even the start, it's like this like <laughs> like this chariots of fire almost kind of vibe, mm-hmm. and then. We, we were sitting on the couch, you know, looking at each other saying, good Lord, you know, Kenny Loggins got his, um, or they got their money's worth out of Kenny Loggins, didn't they, for this one? Because they used that same song, or at very least, yeah. the motif from And he it. also has that, um, times. Th- th- that th- th- he has more than one song, right? The um, mm. playing with the boys oh, is also yeah. Kenny Loggins. <laughs> Just some of the stuff that I'm like. This is so unself-aware. Yeah. Like, the fact it's called Maverick, I was just yeah. like... Yeah. I actually had to Google and see, did this did Maverick come from this movie? <laughs> no, it didn't. Oh, my gosh. They called their main character Maverick. Like, yeah. <laughs> so because, he, because he is one. Oh. That's right. Just in case we didn't get that. I mean... But here's what we've got to know, right? This is the thing that's so interesting. You guys are watching it, as you say, William, watching it and realizing where everything has come from that you've seen subsequently. Mm. So things like the minute that he says, I served, he doesn't do it in that accent. What am I thinking? I served with your dad. (laughs) And we're all like, for crying out loud, we've seen that 32 times. But back then, maybe we hadn't quite seen it 32 (laughs) times. And I have to give it, um, I have to give Tony Scott a little bit of credit for Mm. the fact that bang into the representation of women Mm. thing here. Kelly McGillis for 1986 is a pretty, a reasonably progressive female character. And I'll tell you how. She wears jackets with shoulder pads, which shows that she's powerful. (laughs) She is superior to him and knows far more about science and flight and aircraft than any of these hotshots. And uh, and she tries reasonably hard at the beginning not to fall fall for him, the, especially when he follows her into the toilet. I yeah. know. I was like, oh no, oh. no, don't go there. It's so cringy. Oh. But I think where it goes a little bit wrong is, and also to be fair, her skirt, albeit pencil thin and therefore mm. hugging curves, is knee length. But I think the thing that then undoes that is the fact that she's wearing these gorgeous little high heeled shoes and she's wearing beautiful pantyhose with the seam down the back, which to me <laughs> shriek. Parisian prostitute, you know, of the olden days. Or, you know what I mean? I mean, there's a real sort of um, connotation to those lovely pantyhose. And and, and that she's followed at all times by a wind machine crew. Yes, that's true. Um, But it's interesting that she's a little older and she's not a classic beauty. So she has um, gumption rather than, you know, I mean, this is the era of Daryl Hannah playing Mm. a mermaid who needs to be saved and therefore needs to be half naked and all Mm -hmm. that sort of thing, you know. And so Kelly McGillis, basically, she just wears a T-shirt and a leather jacket. If you're observant, you'll notice she never wears a bra under that (laughs) T-shirt. I have a massive (laughs) issue with that because, you know, she's a grown woman who should be wearing a bra and Mm. I worry about that 1980s or indeed 60s and 70s sort of thing where you know I mean in terms of in terms of um, representation one of the things that did strike me and I guess you know we talked a little bit about Tarantino's theory of of Iceman and uh, Mag- Maverick, you know, it's actually a love story between them. But the the male sexuality is all on show; like mm-hmm. it is mm. a celebration of mm. of masculinity mm-hmm. or a certain form of it. 
I mean, they're all like n- half naked most yeah. of the time. Yeah. When they're playing volleyball, they're glistening, glistening <laughs> bodies. Yeah, um, slapping each other. Yeah, yeah it's really oh, quite no, 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 Apart from Goose, I guess he has a dad bod, so he gets to wear a t-shirt, and everyone else is super cut. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And he's but he's like and he's in this really Meg Ryan was a surprise. I didn't oh, see her. Yeah. Delightful. She's fantastic. Yeah, she is fantastic. And I actually went and looked at her career because her career just died in the early two thousands. Mm. She's not really done anything. But, but I think Top Gun, obviously, because it's a supporting role, that was before she became the massive Meg mm. Ryan, isn't mm. it? But that mm. will have launched her. Really great, eh? It's like yeah. one of those early roles of say Jennifer Lawrence's or your whoever that, that sort of pop up on the Amy Adams, you know, yeah. you see them in those yeah, movies with right. a supporting role and then you go, Oh, you're gonna be Go on to do great things. Yeah, but yeah, just really fascinating the whole um, representation of, of of masculinity and the homoerotica. Yeah, it's sort of. really. I mean, yeah. it's it's pretty much there. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's, yeah. It's, I, I wouldn't say it's even subtext. I mean, so many scenes of showers yeah. of locker, locker rooms, rooms. Yeah. and then in every single locker room scene, you got to have one character, as you guys say, glistening. Yeah, with just a, a tiny, teeny, tiny little towel around. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. that's true. And just the scenes with Val Kilmer coming up to. Tom Cruise. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's not it's not clear that it's always animosity. Like Mm-mm. it's, I was like, oh, this is he's really kind of he's smiling at him, he's flirting with him. Well, of course, the closing line is, "You can be my wingman yeah. any time." Yeah. Well, I actually just read that on a literal level, and I understand what a wingman is, and it's this is a flight movie. But my husband was like, nah, <laughs> I don't think so. Yeah. You know, so it's it's interesting, eh? Mm. And I think at an eighties, the time of the eighties, in terms of. Um, homosexual representation most people would not have even considered None. that um, but now looking at through aliens it's like my gosh if you made that today mm. you know uh, interestingly there isn't very much you're so right there's a lot of um, I suppose it would be female gaze in that movie which is quite unusual mm-hmm. because there isn't very much male gaze of the female characters no, no. there's that one introduction so he, he obviously he meets Kelly McGillis's character in the bar but then when she walks into the flight briefing the camera follows her from behind and we get the gist that it's probably her and that's when we see the legs with the with the pantyhose and then there's the reveal of oh crikey it's the girl from the bar mm-hmm. but other than that there are there aren't lingering shots all over her but there are a lot of a lot more all the photography is about the men actually the film is so it's so never mind sexist. It's just so male. Mm-hmm. That's what I. That's what I thought. I mean, even that that thing you read before, William. It's like the men. Yeah. Know? Oh, it's obsessed with men, <laughs> men, men. Yeah. Yeah. It really is. Fathers, was... friends. Like, yeah. 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 Just male, male relationships throughout. Yes, it is. It's really. Uh, I just was. I have to be honest. I was so bored. I didn't want to watch the film. I watched it because we were doing this, and I just every time a dog fight came on, I was like, I don't even know what's going on. I just sat through it <laughs> mm. I, on my on my computer when I was watching it. You can skip forward three second bursts, mm. so it's like dum 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 dum, and it's like oh, they're still fighting in the sky. Mm. I mean, the fact at the end that they fight some enemy, they never named the oh, enemy. Oh no, that's right, oh, it's amazing. And, and what's the point of that ending? What is the point? So that they graduate from Fight Academy, and it's like <clears> oh wait, there's some bad guys. Twenty minutes, yeah, but done. it's to redeem. It's to redeem. I don't even know what uh, Maverick. Maverick it's, yeah. it's to redeem Maverick's um, reputation. Well, also yeah. for his choice to leave, isn't it? Because he feels that he's let everybody down. But, but do, wait, does he leave? Well, or I, does he graduate? They let him. They let him graduate, but then do I care? don't know. <laughs> and also, I'll tell you what else is weird about that is that Tim Robbins is suddenly is Merlin. in Merlin, and he's suddenly no, no, yes, but I mean yeah. he's Merlin at the beginning, yeah. but he doesn't get into Top Gun at the beginning because it's not his film. Oh, but then he's right. in Top Gun at the end, and it's like, why did we never hear that this guy I didn't even came up? Was Tim Robbins, wow. Yeah. Oh yeah, Tim Robbins. 
because I saw I mean I knew when I was looking on my phone halfway through the film I was like Tim, he's Tim Robbins in this movie yeah. what and then he turns up at the end I was like oh that's a small part no 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 he was in he's in the beginning he's in the back of um, the, the, the guy plane, who the, the guy who yeah who ah yeah. right is that Cougar no um, oh maybe it is maybe it is wouldn't it have been yeah. on the nose of Charlie which is the I was now realise was called Cougar <laughs> even her name's male yeah that's true yeah yeah that's true <laughs> But in a sexy way. In a sexy white t-shirt with no bra Talk, way. Talking about in a sexy way, um, I was telling my colleagues about how awkward that sex scene is in the film. And how so it's all, it's all oh, filmed it's all in, tongue and spit. I know. Yeah. So it's all filmed in silhouette. And I, I, just, I can just hear Tony Scott going, right guys, we're going to film this in silhouette. We need to show that it's sexy. So you've got to use a lot of tongue so we can oh. see the tongue in the silhouette. Oh. And it's just them licking each yeah. other. Yeah. <laughs> but that's very 80s. And oh. I was around then watching a lot of those movies. It was kind of an education for me. And there was a lot of silhouetted um, oh, slobbering. So much, so much gauze. So much. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but that was okay in those days. Oh, so. my word. And, and, of course, I mean the music key to that. I just... They never, I actually used, they never really used the song. No, until the sex scene. But before, like, it was the Kelly McGuinness's, like, thing, right? Her leitmotif. Yeah. But you just hear snippets of it. And it's so, it's so inelegant how they cut in and cut out. It's like, take my breath away. And then cut the next thing. Maybe it was a joke. Maybe the editor was like, take my breath away. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's oh, funny. But I tell you what, what is clear and bursting off the screen is Tom Cruise's charisma. Yeah. He, like, he just, he, his, his dialogue's so terrible, but he just pretty much just has his little smile, his little looks. Yeah. And he's so, um, he's so charismatic. He's 24 he's just... when he made, in Top Gun, he's, uh, in real life, he's 24. Mm. And um, that, but the only thing I noticed is he's got that winning smile, but his smile is different now. Yeah, he's had he got mm. braces um, in, in the early two thousands. Is that what it is? Yeah, because his smile is that same kind of um, almost disingenuous Tom Cruise smile that we see all the time, but yeah. it is ever so slightly different. So I was kind of interested, but not enough to watch all of his movies mm. in uh, in order to see when that. So his, his, teeth, his teeth are still like that in Mission Impossible 1. Mm. Um, and then I know that around 2000, he was mm. he, he had braces for a time. I remember him being in the Oscar ceremony with braces. Good Lord. Um, wow. Yeah, like, like yeah, it was quite interesting. So he definitely has beautiful teeth now. Well, but I didn't know. Then, he... It wasn't so much that the teeth were funny. It wasn't that I was going, oh, they're wonky. It was just sort of the shape of the smile looks different. But of course, your change of teeth's going to do that, isn't it? Maybe, it's, maybe he has had some work done to his face as well. Oh, yeah. I mean, okay, let's talk about Mission Impossible um, Fallout. Fallout. He looks incredible. Yeah, for how, 56. My gosh, he's yeah. been in this game for, what, 30 years? Yeah. His first one was 1981, so yeah. 35 years he's, yeah. he's been doing this. And he, like, we all know that he broke his foot on the jump and stuff, and he, the fact he, like, when, was, when he's hanging under the yeah. helicopter, I'm like, he's actually hanging under yes, the helicopter, yes. you know? Um, uh, and they, they actually use the shot where he breaks the foot, and oh my gosh. And he, and he, he just limps away, and yeah. that's in the movie. It's really impressive. And you know, I mean, we've been, I've been talking about this with colleagues and we all say, think what you like about Tom Cruise, Scientology, wives, whatever, possibly gay, closeted, la la la. He is committed. Mm. And I have a lot of respect for him as, um, as a true uh, film star. And people talk a lot, other actors have talked a lot. Because, you know, I'm really quite vocal about the whole Scientology thing, having watched Leah Remini's fantastic documentary and just mm. how toxic that whole organisation is. And how toxic Tom Cruise's treatment is. Mm. But um, people who, who act with him often talk about how generous he is and how yeah. lovely he yeah. is. And 
he's just a wonderful person to work with. Yeah. Um, Kirsten Dunst still gets a cake every year since they did interview, <gasps> interview with, with the vampire. vampire. Mm. Um, he just has one delivered to her every year for her birthday. Mm. Yeah. And she was a child, and now she's. Mm. Yeah. She's so it is tricky, isn't it? Because he's utterly professional, courteous, gracious mm. to work with, and all the things that we hear. And willing to die for our entertainment. I mean, that's right. Far out. I wanted to break so, a foot. So you know about the um, the helicopter training mm-hmm. that. Um, yeah. I, and I can't remember the figures, but it's something extraordinary. Like, like you are supposed to train for 18 months, yeah. but he had to cram it into, into four what? months or something. And then he trained for a year for that, I think. Right. Overall. And did 16 hour days instead of, yeah. you know, in order to train but, to, but, so that he could fly those helicopters. The, 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 the wow. backstory to all of that is fascinating because uh, I think it just goes to show why he's working with Chris McQuarrie again. Because I, I think Chris McQuarrie is just someone who gets that kind of thing. Um, so the, uh, from a lot of the behind the scenes stuff, they were, you know, they wanted a, a big helicopter stunt for the end of the movie. They wanted Tom to pilot his own helicopter and for the audience to know that he's piloting the, the yeah. his own helicopter, hence all the cameras yes. around the cockpit. Yeah. Um, and so they were saying, okay, so, so in which country can we actually do this legally? And New Zealand was one of the countries. Okay, let's go to New Zealand. But New Zealand is not, I mean, you, you guys should know, we, we all live in New Zealand. It's not very, um... Uh, spy stuffy. Uh, there's not very much intrigue in New yeah, Zealand. Yeah, yeah. In our scenery and yeah. whatnot. Yeah. <laughs> so, or in our towns. No, what, that's true. What, what, what country looks kind of like South Island New Zealand? Oh, Kashmir is kind of like New Zealand. Okay, so what, what do we need to do to get our characters to Kashmir by the end of this movie? And so apparently they built this whole film backwards from what stunts we want to do. Um, wow. And that's... You mean that's, narratively? Yeah, narr- that is wow. crazy. Just absolutely crazy. Mm. Um, and then to somehow piece it together so it makes, you know, mostly narrative sense. Yeah. It's, it's genius. Yeah. I mean, I love the, um, I was sort of chuckling to myself at the start because you have that, that introduction and then you've got the exposition, just genuinely is exposition yeah. of the, of the, all the stuff about plutonium. And I was like, all right, I'll yeah. go with it. Um, and then it's, it, the story is, is not what you're watching this movie for. It's mm. all pretty much basic by the numbers. I haven't seen the last two films, so I wasn't familiar with who these characters mm. were. Um, I vaguely remember Tom Cruise's partner from the third film. Wife, Michelle Wife, Mohan. yeah. Mm-hmm. And, but, you know, it, it doesn't really matter. I sort of followed along. And... <laughs> the nice thing is Fallout tells you, because Ving Rhames has to explain to... Um, Rebecca Ferguson mm, about the, the ex-wife yeah. and I actually found that scene really touching and I and I have to say and we're leaping ahead a little but my goodness what you said Jeremy just before about the exposition at the beginning of Fallout I was like oh my gosh really people are saying this is an amazing film but so far so lame mm. so far so De Palma 1992 Six. or whatever it was right Nine the first six. one and then it picks up and it never stops. Mm-hmm. Blah, 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 blah. Then we get to Kashmir. And the reveal of Michelle Monaghan being there. And I feel as though that scene is handled so beautifully. And I was completely with it. Mm. And then what happens subsequently with her saying to him, I am so happy. And I'm in the right place. And my life has gone exactly right. And all mm. that. I just thought, oh my gosh, that's such beautiful writing. Yeah. That, that she isn't going to continue to be the long-lost love, yeah. and she wishes she was with him, but mm. she can't be. And you even get that you get that notion at the end that her new husband played bizarrely by Wes Bentley. Bentley. I know! I, I saw his name in the credits yes, at the beginning, same. and I completely forgot he was I in the movie. I saw it, I was like, oh, he's, he's it's a very strange choice. <laughs> Maybe he's going to come back into it. Well, it's odd, because he looks 
looks like a, a secret baddie. But he, always, yeah, but yeah, <laughs> he looks yeah. like Tom Cruise. But um, it's yeah, it's just odd. But anyway, the very th- the, at the very very end when Wes Bentley's like your friend arrived to save you, and he's you, you get that sense that he knows mm. you're obviously Secret Service or spy or you know some kind of special. Mm. So I just thought it was. I just thought the Michelle Moynihan character, but was beautifully yeah. handled, and it opens it up for his to, him to be with um, Rebecca Ferguson. And I mean that moment where they first meet, and like he realizes, yeah. like, Tom Cruise's character, Ethan Hunt realizes what's going on. Yeah, she starts to realize that something's going yeah. on. Yeah, it's around so her, good. And they're just trying to keep it normal because she, says, she doesn't want to bring the husband into it. It's a really. She well says he's here scene. on holiday, and he says, "No, I'm here for work." Yeah. yeah, and it's like all these lovely silent signals to her that yeah. if I'm here for work, mm-hmm. you're screwed. Yeah. yeah, yeah, really, really fantastic. I tell you what, I really the cast in Mission Impossible Fallout. Really well played, really well put together, except for Henry Cavill. I love him. <laughs> he is Shut so up. bad. He is. How can he be bad? He is so bad. <laughs> I, I just want to say, um, you guys are absolutely right in that. There's a lot of exposition in this movie. Mm. Uh, I think I don't know more so than the other movies. It no. just feels that way because. It feels like they're trying to really tie together Mission Impossible's one, two, three, four, and yeah, there's a lot of re- there's a lot of callback yeah. to all the movies, to, to every single one, even yeah. to Mission Impossible two, for Pete's sake. Um, oh, so, sorry, can I, I didn't hear them nowhere. say "Where are the doves?" No, at the very end, at the very end, about the woman. No, at the very end, when um, Tom Cruise and Henry Cavill uh, are fighting oh, yeah. on the cliff face. Yes. Oh yeah. And then I was thinking, oh man, Henry Cavill is screwed because this guy does this stuff for fun. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> And also, he says, Ving Rhames says, you know, there are, there are only ever two women in his life. Mm. And that's, I think, reference to the girl that he liked in Mission Impossible 2. Uh, Naya. The, um, oh, what, is it? Yeah, yeah. So. Tandy Newton's so. character. Yeah, yeah. I thought he meant... No, was... I thought when he said that, he means there have only been two women in his life, and one is his ex-wife, Michelle Moynihan, and the other one is you. Yeah, yeah. I thought that as well, but then the way he talks about it is in... Huh. There's like a coda, I think, that... Oh. Yeah, I don't know. Okay. I, I thought they just completely ignored that. I, <laughs> don't know. I thought they'd gone, oh, we'll just move on. <laughs> but um, but Henry Cavell, I mean... I I had to turn off a man from Uncle because I was just like, who? What is this what? guy doing? That, that was that a was lot a of fun. Film. Oh, he's just such a bad actor. <gasps> he's so bad, and I hate Man of Steel, as you know. <gasps> and um, well, he, he's, he's supposed to be sort of rough around the edges in this movie, a bit smarmy. And I just was he was struggling to get that dialogue out of his oh face. Oh, the the um the uh, what I was trying to <laughs> say about exposition. Is when anyone else is delivering exposition, anyone in the movie, it's like, okay, yeah, whatevs. Uh, but when Henry Cavill is delivering exposition, they are just clunkers, like, one after the other. Um, when they're about to do the halo jump and they're talking in the plane, and he's just like, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> like oh, jeez, make him stop. <laughs> oh, I didn't notice any of this. Maybe it's this is you're a... blinded by Henry Cavill's <laughs> Maybe face. I am, because I have to say, he's quite handsome. Um, I liked him being a blunt tool. I didn't think he was rough around the edges, but I liked, I loved the way, albeit it was Angela Bassett, wasn't it, who says, um, you've got a scalpel, I prefer a hammer. Um, but I loved that, um, characterization of these two physically quite different characters. Mm. I thought, I thought that was neat. And I also loved how everyone in the film is completely derisory, if that's the word, (laughs) towards him. Because he, he does, um, he goes, uh, and by the way, I'm... What is his name in the film anyway? 
I, I, just say it's yeah. Brad. I don't know. <laughs> okay. goes, by the way, I'm Brad Walker, and um, and Rebecca Ferguson says you're welcome and yeah. ignores him, and so she's not beguiled by him. And then a little bit later on, he tries to introduce himself again, or to sort of say, "What about me?" And Simon, pa- oh, Simon, that's right. He says, "You know, they're packed into the back of the um, Mercedes, mm-hmm. and there's these three men. There's Ving Rhames, and there's Henry Cavill, yeah. and there's Simon Pegg, and um, and." Henry Cavill's been involved in all this thing and sort of tries to say, by the way, I'm so-and-so. And Simon Pegg says, um, was it you who hired the, the small car? <laughs> or something. And they're all just like cutting him down. <laughs> Even at the very, very end when he's revealed to be one of the main baddies. <laughs> um, and the whole helicopter chase, it begins with Tom Cruise just getting pregnant. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> he's, so I, I get the character, but yeah, I just... Has, Didn't enjoy it. Just he's he's really he's really physical. I like that. Um, yeah. The bathroom okay. fight is amazing. It's great. It is it is wonderful, isn't it? Yes. It's one of the coolest fights. Yeah. And I saw that in the trailer. There's three people fighting, and I'm like, oh, well, I wonder what the makeup of this is. And then to know when those two guys are going in together, I'm like, oh, they're gonna fight that guy together. Oh this yeah. Is really cool. It's so great. I, I I actually saw Mission Impossible Fallout twice, both mm-hmm. times in IMAX, and it's just as rewarding mm-hmm. the second time, even though you know everything that's going to happen. Um, oh, super fun. <laughs> I'd see it a third. I'll tell you who else I loved. Vanessa Kirby. Now, she played Princess Margaret in The Crown. And she was as haughty and as self-absorbed <laughs> and as um, unroyal as you can imagine. Um, and she's brilliant in The Crown. And I'm so stoked that they cast her in Mission Impossible. And she plays the mm. White Widow, who's the sort of the negotiator. You know she's the daughter of oh, Max. Yeah. She said Max. I, like, I didn't realize that. So cool. cool. I didn't yeah, realize I that until the well, second screening, away. actually. I picked up straight away. She said Max because she looks like her as well. And mm. I actually thought, has she, is she a computer generation... That's what I actually mm. thought. I was like, has she been computer-generatedly created to, to look, look like, like Vanessa Redgrave? To look like Vanessa mm. Redgrave. But that's, but... That was a wonderful throwback to mm, the first... Yeah. No, to the first, first, film. first yeah. film. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So I thought Vanessa Kirby was wonderful. Notwithstanding she... I mean, yes, withstanding, she's absolutely gorgeous to look at, but she does beautiful things very subtly with her face to sort of show... Oh, I find you quite attractive, despite the fact that you kill women and children. Yeah. <laughs> um uh, uh, but yeah, oh, just and they're setting her up. Glorious. They're setting her up as a future character. Yeah. They can always Fantastic. come back to her. And mm. I really, you know, as, as impressive as the the bathroom scene was, <clears throat> and it was, um, I equally loved the scene with the assassins coming at them in the casino. That felt really oh, James yes. Bond to me. It like, was really. Yeah. I thought it was really well choreographed. Yeah, and some really cool little tricks and the stabbing and the and just the way that the different people who we're on side with you know, kill someone and they quickly walk away. Yeah. Like, you know, it's, it's really... And quite impressive. balletic as well. Mm. Very, there was, it was a lovely choreography and then mm. they'd turn and they'd move off to yeah. the steps and then he'd turn and stab and yeah. then, mm-hmm. you know, flip over a table. And... It also is really cool that um, Vanessa Kirby is like, she, she's getting into these movies now because she's just been cast as Jason Statham's sister in um, the Fast and Furious spin-off. So Hobbs you say Shaw. good thing oh, right. and yeah. I say... Oh, Jason So they are both um, Helen Murren's kids, and it's this crime family that's been building since like Fast oh, and Furious fun. 6. Oh, okay, that's and a so fun And so it's like a, a Mama Murren, and then Jason Statham is the older brother, and Vanessa Kirby is the younger sister. Nice. And they're all like Cockney, you know, gangsters. Is, um, is Helen Mirren in one of the Fast and Furious films? She's an eight, yes. Is that has that come out yet? Yes. Oh, okay. All oh, right. is she Jason Statham's mum in number yeah. eight? I don't know. Is that a connection that. to Red? You know, oh she, my gosh, that'd be incredible. You know, she plays the character <laughs> of Red. The, the, yeah, yeah. The, um, There's a Venn diagram waiting to happen. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Launching whatever she is. 
Oh, oh well, that sounds quite fun then, because yeah. Vanessa Kirby does do acting with her face, and even so, therefore, if Jason Statham doesn't, it doesn't matter. It means somebody is portraying a character in a film. So that's marvellous. Oh, that's really funny. That's wonderful. Hey, I did, um, I did pick up on a, a few similarities. We always like to make connections mm-hmm. between the two films in discussion, and mm-hmm. uh, so I mean, you know, it's 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 pretty obvious action hero kind of stuff. But of course, Maverick. Uh, you might not have picked this up, despite his name, but he's a bit of a rule breaker. Uh, uh, are, 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 are you saying, Sarah, that he's a loose cannon that plays by no one's rules but his own? <laughs> so he breaks the rules to save Cougar, and then, of course, Ethan Hunt breaks the rules to save Ving Rhames. Mm. Bizarrely, Alec Baldwin, in one of the nicer portrayals I've ever seen him do, says, um, you'd made the right decision, which is kind mm. of weird, because normally in the Mission yeah, Impossible movies, yeah. everyone's saying, Ethan... <laughs> You're a bad guy. But in this one, you've only got Henry Henry, Henry Cavill <laughs> saying to Angela Bassett, I think he's the baddie. And everyone else is like, Ethan can do no wrong. Yeah. So that's a little bit unusual, but I didn't mind. Um, so Maverick has broken rules in the past and been rogue, but also genius, as had Ethan. Because, of course, Ethan went rogue in... Rogue Nation, obviously. <laughs> the trick is in My the gosh, title. these, and what, yeah, the, these and, subtleties are just really <laughs> impressive. <laughs> You'll be glad you listened to this podcast, listeners, because you might not have picked these up for yourselves. They both ride motorbikes. Oh, yes. Fast, hunched over, big well, motorbikes. Without helmets, so you can see oh, Tom Cruise's face. Yeah. Oh my gosh, so the Paris motorbike scenes yeah. in Mission Impossible Fallout are also, mm. as far, I mean, you know, I thought that I was inured to car chases and motorbike chases, but oh my gosh, it is absolutely heart-pounding. Mm. Despite the fact that I'd seen it before, I still went, <gasps> um, at the moment where he flips over the car. Yeah. Or no, it's actually, you. I make that... Um, I have that response when he turns to look behind him and we see the car pull in mm. front of him and he goes over it. Mm. So even though I'd seen it before, um, so that was incredible. Have you powerful. guys seen the, the B-roll footage for Mission Impossible? No. It's it's so cool. Oh. I mean, how they film a dangerous motorbike scene is they just get Tom Cruise to ride really fast on the motorbike. It's crazy. And then, of course, all the camera crew are on motorbikes as well and the cameras are all motorbike mounted. Oh, my And word. so that's how they can do the, do they, the weaving. Are all the cars there? Like, that's the one thing I was thinking. Are they, oh, yeah. Are all do the cars CG- actually there or they at the cars? Uh, it seems like at least around the Arc de Triomphe, uh, all the cars were there. Oh, my they, God. They around closed, the Arc de they Triomphe. They down the, the that roundabout for like was it two hours early in the morning to film that? Uh, and so um, they got the cars sticking to very closely yes. sticking. To, oh, that and was going against ab- absolutely <laughs> yeah. horrific. It was horrific. It's like that scene in the second Matrix film where they are that really long highway sequence mm. when they're driving with the traffic. Mm. And I love that moment when then they turn around and then they're driving against the traffic. It's yeah. quite a cool set piece, and it was similar to that. And it's it's. Really, really, I agree with you. Really heart, heart racing. It's it's a well, such a well put together scene. And I love the setup. How you get the vision, you get the Ethan's vision of what's going to happen, mm. and then he's going to be in a situation where he has to murder a policeman. Mm. And then you get, and so you know that's not going to happen. And so it's mm. like, what's going to happen? Like yeah. it's really quite exciting as an audience member to mm. not know. But also, it's nice to see that because that scene doesn't exactly pan out that way. Yeah. So mm. you kind of get all the goods, don't you? You and get w- the... when they show that scene mm. like without music. Was it? Oh, it's with, with without music, right? Or um, without I think dialogue? it's it's with music, but without oh, yeah. um, without sound and yeah. without dialogue. It's beautiful. Yeah, mm. and uh, I don't know about you guys, but I I thought that that was actually what was happening yeah, totally, until yeah. they cut. Yeah, 
Yeah, really nice surprise. Yeah. But it was also, even if it had gone on being how it happened, it was a lovely way to, to you know, just break up all of the... Yeah. And all that stuff, isn't it? Yeah, it, it, it felt really very, very Dark Knight. Mm. Um, it really reminded me of that film. And so it made me think, man, Dark Knight has had a massive impact on film. Yes. Like, it just the whole, the whole look and feel and pacing and... Yeah. Yeah. As the, a side, the, the, the big uh, sorry, sorry, Sarah, the big uh, chase scene where the Joker's escaping and yeah. all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, and just the, the shots of, of cars on the side of trucks and yeah, yeah. As a side issue, I uh, last night saw um, uh, a little movie called 2001: A Space Odyssey. I've heard this movie. Um, I tell you what, that film must have been influenced by Inception. <laughs> there are some quite stunning uh, moves of the whole room, the whole building moving with the yep. people inside. Very cleverly done. They must have got that off Chris Nolan. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so um, and then just, you can tell Interstellar's his um, 2001. Eh? There's yeah. lots of mm, events. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's just a, it's a shame that that movie's so long. Um, Not 2001. I love 2001. Yeah. <laughs> Interstellar. So um, obviously, Top Gun: The Men's Arrogance is actually cringy nowadays. Mm. Um, and that's not even in a post or in a what are we in an in me too movement sort of way. I think it's just a, we're well into the twenty first century and mm-hmm. it's like you know there's nothing very redeemable about many of those characters and the ways way that they behave and like, how it's seen as being this great paragon of oh and Anthony Edwards doesn't cheat on his wife yeah Goose Goose, Goose is, doesn't um, is not a cheater he, he, he dies for his efforts so, so there you go <laughs> so that's all you need. <laughs> But yeah, I, I don't know. It's just, it's just a really weird little microcosm of this, mm. this flight school, and everyone's like so gun ho and masculine, and the oozing out of their pores. Um, uh, I, I don't know. I, I mean, Jeremy, you said you weren't such a fan of the action sequences, like the little dog fights and Top Gun. Yeah. What, what about you? I, I enjoyed actually. I enjoyed all of the up in the air because um, scenes. I, I was thinking, like, what would people think about this in the eighties? And maybe it was thrilling to oh, just was- see. It was utterly thrilling. Like half an hour of footage I know. of James Dog fighting. Well, to be fair, at the very beginning, you know how at the very beginning at Top Gun, I do think it's a little bit unusual that there is extended footage of mm. planes, um, what's it called? Launching? What's it called? Yeah. Um, going up, carrier. coming down, taking going off. up, taking off is the word I'm looking for. <laughs> um, extended. And it's all, you know, yep, we get it. Yep. Oh, there's a mm. sunset. Yes, it's a beautiful shot. Shall mm. we move into the story now? And it feels very much like this is a movie for boys. Mm-hmm. Fine. I can a, accept a, a that. shots of flight crew and engineers waving their arms like, let's yeah. go. That's then, right. Like, go. Doing the fist pump. But it gives stuff. it a real authenticity. It makes mm. you think, oh my gosh, he must have gone to an actual aircraft carrier and taken it over and used actual people mm. um, to shoot those scenes. And I haven't looked into whether that's the case or not, but it feels like somebody in the 80s going, you know what, we're going to do this for real. Mm. Um, and then we're going to interpose Tom Cruise into it. Um, <laughs> but um, but yeah. no, I enjoyed all of those scenes. And even though they nowadays, of course, when they're shot um, front on and you've got the person in the cockpit going, oh no, it all mm. feels a little bit like Starfighters in, yeah. um, in, in Star, Star Wars. Wars. Yeah. <laughs> But um, yeah. what else are you going to do, I suppose? Yeah, it, it does. I, I mean, it is really, really impressive. Mm. I mean, uh, obviously the stunt flying looks really dangerous. And there are times where the planes get mighty close to each other. Mm. It's like, oh, what's what's going to happen mm. if they do crash? Mm. Um, and then, of course, the, the, the MiGs. Man, that was so fascinating how you just have this hidden Russian menace. Mm. Um, or Soviet menace. Oh, who's never called Russian, Soviet, oh, or anything. No. It's extraordinary. <laughs> they just call them MiGs. Yeah. I think the thing is, I'm just not a vehicle person. So like anything, any sort of car, like 
car movies. So you're not planes. fast and friends. You're not a fast. I've never seen any of them. Really? Furious. That's no. why I've never watched them because I don't like car. No, I yeah. Do. I like a good car chase if mm-hmm. it's well. Sure. You know, like I love Death Proof. I love, you know. Or if it's a Bourne movie and he's just jumped in an old Ford Cortina yeah. or something like that, and it's all rickety rickety down streets in yeah, in Serbia love, or something. I, mean, I, love, I love a good chase sequence, mm-hmm. but I'm not a gearhead in any sense. I don't yeah. I don't care about actual cars. Like I don't care about the makers. It could be any any vehicle. Mm. Um, but all that plane sort mm. of I don't know. It's just plane worship. I just was like I don't care. <laughs> I I would say I don't know. Check out check out the Fast and Furious movies. They they're really. The great thing about them is they're really physical, and a lot of the stunts are, you know, actually jumping cars off stuff. So it has this authenticity about it, which I think Top Gun has as well, as you, yeah. as you say, Sarah. That um, that modern CGI just can't quite replicate. Mm. Which is, I mean, that's what makes their new Mission Impossible film so impressive as yeah, well. Yeah, that's it's what like, I was going to say. It's really impressive. The it stunts, feels very mm. in camera, doesn't it? There's which nothing is a really refreshing to CGI. No, it was, it was one thing, real. which is the storm when the halo jump. I, I thought that was really dumb. What's the What's halo jumping? Um, the the high altitude low. Oh um, yeah, man! It's like but they did that for real, though, didn't they? Yeah, they did that for real, and it's super impressive. So why do you have to add in this like really crappy CGI storm in it? Oh, right. Um, I don't know. To, to me, that kind of that was the only wrong note that it really struck in terms of spe- uh, special effects. It still oh, okay. felt though. It felt to me real enough that I that it worked worked for me. Mm, but I do I know what you mean. Funny. It looked a little funny, but it felt real. Because if, if you look at how they filmed it. That's just, once again, a whole bunch of cameramen jumping out of a plane in front of Tom Cruise jumping out of a plane. Mm. And they just did that again and again and mm. again. And they also chose to, to film it at that, that, that twilight hour with that lighting. So apparently beautiful. every day they could only take like one take. Wow. Um, just because the lighting would be really off. Wow. Man. <laughs> just, that's, that's impressive, eh? Yeah. And mm. I'm so glad, and I think I wrote this in my review, I'm so glad that the actual storyline holds up to those stunts. Yes. Mm. That they actually were able, like we, I guess we were talking about construct, back constructing it from that, that action sequence. It, it works. Yeah. I mean, it's the best Mission Impossible film I've seen, and mm-hmm. I haven't seen two of them, but, you know, and I love that first one, but this, it's a really well put together film. Four and five are terrific. Yeah. They're um, amazing. And, and Ghost Protocol, which is number four, um, going to Dubai, and again, incredible, incredible stunts there as well. Mm-hmm. That's pretty, it's pretty rad. Mm. Um, but I, I really liked for this one, um, Fallout, I liked how they used Paris just exquisitely and it didn't feel tired mm. because we saw mm. a lot of Paris in Inception, funnily enough, um, and and a lot of Bourne movies go all around Europe and whatnot. And of course Bond does, although I don't know if he's mm. been to Paris, can't remember off the top of my head, but it felt fresh and new and wonderful. Mm. And London did as well. Mm. And I actually quite liked how they really stuck to massive Paris scene massive London scene and mm. then this strange land of Kashmir, South Island, New Zealand. Um, but I liked how they spent a lot of time in that space as well. And Was that actually filmed in New Zealand? Yes. Oh. Oh, all of that helicopter yeah. business is like yeah, You can see the Bridal Veils 4s. Uh, oh, and used New Zealand, um, obviously New Zealand crew, but yeah. also um, New Zealand... Uh, there's this wonderful article on uh, stuff, actually, with the, the bloke who hires out the helicopters and says how down-to-earth Tom Cruise was and how great to work with and, and how, yeah, he was the safety coordinator and the pilot consultant and mm. that sort of thing. Ah, sweet. Yeah. Well, talking about place, um, one of the things I did feel on Top Gun, I don't even know where it was set, but, um, uh, like, when they're sitting, when him and... Um, 
the Charlie character is sort of sitting in her outdoor seating area and he arrives on his motorbike and it's all sort of sun drenched. Yeah. I was like, oh man, that looks so nice. Like just yeah. so beautiful and relaxing <laughs> and everyone's sort of slightly sweaty all the time, which tells me it's warm. Mm-hmm. And you know, like they're, when they're playing the piano in that bar and I don't know, I just, the whole sort of party atmosphere of that film actually was quite interesting to me. San Diego. San Diego. Oh, there you go. San Diego. <laughs> so that's why. Yeah. Yeah, that was nice and it did feel warm. Yeah, and they talk about taking showers all the time. Yeah. I mean, that's actually a plot point, which is hilarious. Yeah. I gotta go. I gotta take a shower. Can I take a shower at your place? No? Okay, <laughs> I gotta go. <laughs> oh my word. Um, and, and speaking of London, uh, Sarah, because mm. I, I just come back from London or a couple of months ago from a teacher's conference, um, and I, I basically walked around where Tom Cruise was, and you know, you, you see St. Paul's, and he's on the rooftops, and it's mm. super cool. And you kind of see the Tate Modern in the, in the distance, and I was like, oh, I, I went to the Tate Modern, it's a really, really cool piece of architecture. Yeah. He ends up running on top of bridges, and the Tate Modern, like, he, he perches on the top of it, and it's, it's crazy. Oh, it is crazy. That is impressive. And you How did they do that? How did they do that? It's it's so frightening, isn't it? Because yeah. there's no barrier, and yeah. it's not a very big space no. at the top of that chimney. It's very rare to have a film these days that has actual movie magic, you know, like where you don't know how it's done. And I think CGI really does, it really takes away a lot of that. Yeah. You just need to know it's CGI. You, and you, or, or you can just assume that it's easily created somewhere on a computer, mm-hmm. therefore it ain't no thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I think it's, it's just, it's really great. Going back to Tom Cruise, kind of to finish off, um, he, he's someone that's, that's really, really... Um, there's a narcissism to him, but I mean that—that's for the audience's benefit. Yeah. Like if you watch so much of the behind-the-scenes stuff, it's always, can the audience tell that it's actually me doing the stunt? Is my helmet see-through so you can see my face? And because of that, like you can, and you have this extra sense of just authenticity, as you guys yes. are saying. Um, and it's it's wonderful. It's it's this kind of action star, except almost a relationship with the audience. Like, mm. he's willing to put his life in actual danger for your entertainment. Um, and he's willing to do so at the age of 55, 56. Mm. Which is, yeah, that, that's that's why we go through I agree with you. I think that's a really nice distinction between his just wanting people to know I did my own stunts <laughs> so that they're impressed with me. I think you're absolutely right. I do believe he is so committed to the craft uh, and the outcome, I mean, uh, the output. And this is why he's producer or exec- executive producer on so many things. But I agree with you. I think he deserves a lot of credit for wanting to make the best film and the best cinema-going experience possible. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to another episode of Cinema in Context. If you enjoyed our podcast, then please share it with your film-loving friends. You can listen to Cinema in Context through SoundCloud or through Apple Podcasts. You can also follow us on Facebook or subscribe to us on Twitter or YouTube. These are great places to let us know what you think of this episode or give us suggestions for future films to discuss and compare. Look out for our next episode in a month's time, and until then, kakitsi anō.